you know, respect for authority continues to decline. You know, when I say authority, what I'm referring to is the power or right to do something, to give orders, to enforce those orders. Authority, as it's painted in mass media today, is bad. Anarchy is trendy. Anarchy is cool. Don't listen to anybody. Listen only to yourself. Listen only to those who are saying the things you like. Authority holds you down, gets in your way. And we see this in every facet of life. General lack of respect from kids at school. General lack of respect from adults at work. General disregard for doing things like paying for stuff at stores. Just walk out. Authority and power are negative, oppressive, something lorded over you. Defund the police, they say. Shut down the government, they say. And on and on and on. Respect. Listening. Abiding by authority is, in a sense, non-existent. Think of the past. The Cato Institute, it's a libertarian think tank, did a study on respect for authority. And they concluded this, quote, Social psychologists have found that respect for authority is a universal instinctive trait in human psychology. While respect for authority figures is a universal human trait, it is more salient for some. These individuals believe strong authority figures are necessary to maintain social order and prevent society from devolving into chaos. Unquote. You see, the world knows. The world knows. However, because Roman, Romans chapter 1 informs us that though there is a knowledge of truth, sinful man willingly suppresses the truth. This is why we get no logic. There's no reason. Just goofiness. And this disrespect, this dismissal, this Disregard for authority has come into the church. The church has, in a sense, become a marketplace where people are selling stuff and you get to buy the things you like to buy. And if there's nothing you like to buy there, you're going to go somewhere else and go shopping. And nothing wrong with that in an actual marketplace. But not in God's house. God and His Word are no longer viewed as authority and with the culture's pressure on the church to conform to its worldly ideologies in order to be liked, in order to be accepted, or to not be protested upon, we see the church cave to those pressures, start allowing things and promoting things that are explicit, not allowed in Scripture. Christ is no longer seen as the Lord of the church. Christ is no longer seen as the one whom is to be praised, who is to be worshipped and exalted. Christ is no longer seen as sufficient to give hope and life and peace. The Bible, which all the many polls and studies done by both conservative and liberal and even Christian organizations all conclude the same. Nobody reads it anymore. The majority think the Bible is just antiquated stories of the past and certainly not viewed as an authority. 
You know, when I was commissioned many years ago into the Air Force, I was handed a declaration. And this declaration gave me my mission. And that particular mission and discharging of it would mean absolutely nothing if there wasn't an authority behind what I was being asked to do. So on that document, it clearly stated what I was being asked to do, and it was followed by the words, by order of the President of the United States. However you feel about the office of the President, past or present, the reality is this appeals to the highest office in our government, which means the tasks at which I was going to be performing are under an authority that allows for me to discharge what I've been ordered to do. And so as we close out our missions month, where we've been able to focus upon what it is we have been charged with, and this morning I would like for us, dear church, to be reminded of who it is that is in authority. Remembering who is in authority will orient our minds. It will soften our hearts. It will humble us. It will motivate us to fulfill the mission that we have been given. You know, remembering who is in authority will stir your heart, Christian. It will encourage you. It will light up your affections. It will, it will cause you to be the most loving, the most tender, the most passionate, the most active, the most humble, the most prayerful. It will cause you to beg and plead. Knowing who is in authority will cause you to be on your knees under Almighty God. Knowing who is in authority will conjure up within you praise and worship, will cause you to exalt and proclaim. Knowing who is in authority may even cause you to serve in ways you never imagined. It may even cause you to relocate to unknown lands. Knowing and glorying in the one who is in authority will cause you to say, here I am. Send me. Here I am, God. Use me. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. A very familiar passage, I'm sure. To many of you, in other words, the Great Commission felt it appropriate as we close our month of focus to go right to where it is explicitly stated what we are to do. Follow along with me starting in verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And my encouragement to you this morning is simple that the authority of Christ motivates and sustains you to faithfully carry out the mission that he has given you. The authority of Christ motivates and sustains you to faithfully carry out the mission that he has given you. 
we will consider this morning what encompasses the authority of Christ. What is all included in the authority of Christ. But before we dive in, let's focus on the main part of the text that I want to jump into and will be the basis of all our discussion this morning. That's found in verse 18. So let's read that again. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You know, I think sometimes we skip this. We gloss over it too fast. I know I do. We read the word all and think, yeah, it includes all. But the scriptures have much to say about that all. And it would serve us well, dear church, to understand what all is. Because it will feed and elevate your worship of the one who is in authority. It will cultivate a love and care for people. It will move you to serve. It will cause you to faithfully carry out, not under compulsion, the mission that he has given you. The mission of making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded. Now that all becomes a joy. That all becomes a privilege rather than something I have to do. No, it's something I get to do. So as we dig in, let's first ask, who gave him this authority? Who gave Christ this authority? It says there, all authority, exousia. It means this, the power of choice. It means the liberty of doing whatever one pleases. It includes physical, mental power. It includes the ability to influence, to strengthen. It's the right, the privilege, the power to rule. The power to give commands. Authority over mankind. It's the right to make judicial decisions. To manage domestic affairs. It means overall jurisdiction. This power, this authority is absolute. It is universal. In other words, it is superior. It is regal. We can go on and on and on. All authority, it says there, has been given to me, Christ says, but wait a minute. Jesus is God. Jesus is divine. Which means he's always had authority. He's God. There was never a point in time when he didn't have this authority. So why then does this verse state that there is an authority that has been given to him? And by who? So the short answer is God the Father gave him this authority. A quick survey. Matthew 11, verse 27, says this. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. John chapter 3, verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. John chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, knelt down and washed the apostles' feet. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one 
to come. And lastly, John chapter 17, verse 2, says there, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. What an amazing parallel that verse, John 17, 2, to our text this morning in Matthew 28. I mean, if you think about it, talk about authority. (laughs) This is what authority looks like. God the Father has chosen a people for himself. And God the Father gives those whom he has chosen to the Son. And the Son has the power to give them life. And the Son then gives life to all those that the Father has given Him. That's absolute authority. So when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, He essentially also means, has been given to me by my Father. To which we then ask, did not Christ always have this authority in eternity past? I've read John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Wasn't He always God, and hadn't He always had this authority? So again, what is this authority being given to Christ? He's with the Father. He's the creator of the universe. He did not become authoritative at His incarnation when He became man. Here's the distinction, dear church. Before the incarnation, God the Son existed. But Jesus, the God-man, did not yet exist. See, before the incarnation, God the Son existed with all authority. But the God-man, Jesus Christ, had not yet fulfilled, had not yet completed the mission that God the Father had given him. We know this mission, to live a perfect sinless life, to be God's glory manifested on the earth to die the death that sinners deserve to die, to shed his pure blood for the sheep, to be condemned, to become sin, though he had none. And so when Christ, the God-man, was crucified, was buried, and was raised, when Christ, the God-man, proved triumphant over the grave, over sin, over Satan, Christ, the God-man, was exalted to the right hand of God, and he was installed as ruler, as Lord of the universe. So yes, the Son of God always had total authority in heaven and on earth. But when he had done the great work of redemption that God the Father had given him once and for all, God exalted him, the Redeemer, the Risen One, to his right hand. And now, as never before, put the rule of the universe, the mission of this church into the hands of a man, Christ. God's right hand is the place of highest favor. It's it's a phrase used throughout all of Scripture to indicate power, authority, sovereignty. Exodus chapter 15 says, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy to say that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father is to say, as John Calvin says, quote, Christ was invested with lordship over heaven and earth 
and solemnly entered into possession, possession of the government committed to him. And that he not only entered into possession once for all, but continues in it until he shall come down on judgment day. Unquote. This was the authority given to him. And this authority, this power, this right, this privilege, it wasn't simply given to the God-man, to Christ, as an authorization to potentially rule. It wasn't like given to Jesus as, okay, you can potentially rule. You have the power, so you can rule if you want. No, this authority was given to Christ to actually rule. And that should inform our worship today. Because Christ is actually ruling today. John 5, 27. And he gave him authority to execute judgment. Because he is the son of man. He has been given authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. He is authorized to act. Not simply enjoy the right to act. The authority of Jesus in heaven and earth is his rule. Actually ruling in heaven and on earth. And all that to say that all that the Father has authority to do, Jesus has authority to do. Because Jesus again said in John 3.35, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. So where we have statements in the Bible that God has the right to do something, we know Jesus has the right to do it. So now what does this authority encompass? What's included? I know it says all, and all means all, but what is included in the all? Dear saints, glory in this. Be encouraged by this. Be renewed by the refreshing, transformative truth that Christ has all authority. I have a number of reflections from Scripture and I'm just going to keep going till I run out of time. Probably not get to it all, but we'll just keep going until time is up. Just how extensive, how expansive Christ's authority is. First, we see Christ's authority in that He is the Creator. Creator of all things. You know, when you create something, you have power and authority over it, don't you? Think even of our copyright laws today. Think even of our patent laws today. They are designed so that if you are the one who wrote that song, or you are the one who invented the, the Flowbee, <laughs> if you remember that, or the six-pack abs machine, whoever wants to reproduce it, whoever wants to do anything with it, with what you have created, they need to ask you for permission. doesn't matter how much money or influence you have doesn't matter your status. If you want to utilize something that's been created by someone else, you need to ask. Christ, John chapter 1, verse 3, says, All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, For by Him all things were created for by Him, and we know in the context of Colossians 1, we're talking about Christ here, because in verse 15, right before that, He 
is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This beloved son, this God-man who's forgiven us, who is the image, that word icon of the invisible God. God is spirit and you can't see him, but God the Father in his kindness through the son, now you can see him. Christ makes visible what was once visible. And that's why this is a big deal. And when it talks about there that he is the firstborn of all creation, it's bringing about a level of authority that no one has. And it's not talking about chronology. No, it's talking about authority. Christ is the creator. Christ created everything that is not God. And while Christ is in the midst of his creation as creator, he transcends it with all authority. Paul, in an absolute sense, says all things were created by him. All things in the Greek means just that. All things, the whole, every, any, each, collectively, everything. And though we may be skeptical of the thing, really? Like really though, everything? All things? Paul knows we may be skeptical. And that's why I remember the context of Colossians 1. Christ is being minimized. Christ is not God. And so Paul goes right to it. Be reminded, dear Christian, Christ is sovereign and he's an authority so much so that he created Everything, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. Sounds consistent, doesn't it? Even from our main text in Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And that about covers it, doesn't it? The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19. And we have this high-powered telescope, the web telescope that can see farther than we've ever seen before and however much farther that thing sees he created it whatever new discoveries this thing sees he created it not only is christ the creator but secondly he is the sustainer holding it in being by the word of his power hebrews 1 3 he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is before all things, Colossians 1.17, and in him all things hold together. All the electrons, all of the atoms, all of the neutrons, the earth being tilted in exactly halfway between both polar extremes all things he holds together and sustains and oh christ has the authority to simply make it cease should he so choose you know a few years ago an anonymous artist who goes by the name bansky had a painting called girl with balloon girl with balloon it sold at auction for over a million dollars. But that actually wasn't even the big thing about the painting. If you recall, what happened was Bansky, anonymous artist, built a shredder in the uh, painting's frame. And right when it sold, he remotely activated the shredder and it started destroying the painting. Simply put, he created it. He can choose to do whatever he wants with it. One of my more 
favorite games. It's an old school one. Jenga. <laughs> I'm sure you already picked up on the visual. There are these towers of blocks. And the goal is to take a block away at each turn without the whole thing falling apart. You're just hoping it doesn't fall apart. You can exude as much confidence as you want, as much confidence as you can muster, but at the core of it all, you just don't know if this thing will fall apart. And that's the difference. That's the difference between the one who created it all and the one who is created, because Christ, sitting on the right hand of God, ruling, is working until now. And if he so chooses to stop atoms from bumping into each other, if he so chooses to tilt the earth in ways where our seasons get extreme, if he so chooses to do whatever it is he pleases, his word tells us it will be good. Because he is a good God. So even now, may this encourage you, dear church, as we focus on missions, as Christ has given us our mission to carry out in his strength, we will be sustained. You know, Christ isn't the proverbial watchmaker, right? Winds this thing up and, and lets it go. Oh, no, he is involved in all the intricate details. And why wouldn't we be encouraged if we are carrying out and being obedient to what he has called us to do? You see how we can have confidence? That same confidence that when Christ died and rose again, he tore the veil of the temple in two. So what now? Now you can approach the throne of grace with confidence. With a holy fear. Because he's the sustainer. So is he your sustainer? You know, Christ isn't tired or exhausted by this. You can go to him. You know, if you're hungry and starving, maybe it's because you've been eating the world's junk food. If you're thirsty, maybe it's because you've been drinking out of broken cisterns. He's the bread of life. He's the fountain of living water. He will sustain you, dear Christian. Third, his authority encompasses creation. His authority encompasses the sustaining of it. And thirdly, his authority governs nature and all of its elements governs nature and all of its elements. Matthew chapter 10 verse 29 says this. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. From the smallest bird falling from a branch in the jungles to the most catastrophic weather events Christ has authority over all of that. You know, I think back to Hurricane Katrina, August of 2005. That's been a long time ago. And still, to this day, the costliest hurricane in American history. Crazy how long ago that was now. Bunked up in my tiny studio apartment in the Gulf Coast. And when the hurricane was passing through, the sheer power and the winds howling and the trees bending and the floods, the levees breaking, me seeing cars being lifted up, I was freaked out. 
I've never seen anything like this before. That was some power. And everyone on base was bracing for it. We were at this hurricane's mercy. The toughest military macho men relegated to just hoping the roof wouldn't fly off. Luke chapter 8, verse 23. But as they say, but as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake. And they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. You know, the more we think we're so sophisticated and advanced, the truth still remains. The winds and the waves did not get a mind of its own today. They still, today, obey Him. All of nature obeys Him. If you think of Niagara Falls, the combination of its height and volume of water moving at 68 miles per hour, falling at 32 feet per second, hitting the base of the falls at 2,509 tons of force. That's crazy. It's an amazing display of power. And if you think about it, if Christ so chooses, He can simply say, peace, be still. You know, in the context when Christ said that, He actually didn't even utter words. He simply said, He shushed it. You know, we look at that as that's rude. Like when you get shushed, woo, don't shush me, right? Oh, when Christ shushes, yeah, everything stops. It's calm. Christ's authority encompasses all the elements. Fourth, Christ's authority is over our enemies. What a great reminder. You know, I love, again, our focus on missions where we get brothers here. You know, there are times where we may get spoiled a little bit. You know, we may face some opposition here. You know, some of the lands where our fellow brothers and sisters are, opposition can be deadly. And so to be reminded that Christ's authority is even over our enemies. See how much hope that gives? Specifically over Satan, over all his demons. What a comfort this is. For those who face evil opposition daily. What a comfort it is to know that things aren't spinning out of control. No, Christ is in control. Mark chapter 1, verse 27. They were all amazed so that they debated amongst themselves saying, Who is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey Him. Yes, they do. 
They did then, and they do now. And Satan cannot touch the children of God without permission. How do we know that? 1 John 5.18 tells us, We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. You know, Matthew chapter 8 has this amazing account where there are the demons knowing who Jesus was. And how do we know that they knew who Jesus was? Because they called him Son of God. Okay? So these demons called Jesus Son of God, and the demons also knew that Christ had absolute authority and power over them and can choose to either cast them out or not. Matthew chapter 8. You see how there's no negotiation here. (laughs) It's very clearly who's in charge. And so Jesus, being superior, these demons, knowing that, they're relegated to what? Beg him. They're relegated to beg him. And you know the rest of the account. They begged Jesus, send us into the swine, and Jesus allowed it. Of course, when we consider that Christ has authority, all authority, even over Satan, we think about Job. We think about Job. Sanctified imaginations here. Satan had to knock on the door of heaven and ask for permission. God gave him permission. You can take it up to this point, but nothing further. Everything Satan did to Job, he did by permission from God. And that permission so embodied the design of God himself that the inspired writer at the end of the book of Job wrote this. Chapter 42, verse 11. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him and they ate bread with him in his house and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. Not even Satan and all of his ugly designs fail to perform God's holy purposes. You know what's highly entertaining to me? (laughs) Is the pettiness in sports. Pettiness in sports. It's actually quite hilarious. And nothing and no one is pettier than girls' volleyball players. I mean, wow. You miss a serve, the other team will remind you how high the net is. You shank a pass, the other team will tell you where that ball went. You call a timeout. The other team will confirm for you that you just called timeout. On and on and on. But the pettiest, most entertaining taunt of all, I actually, uh, it actually came from basketball. <laughs> and it's transcended all sports at this point. When someone gets dunked on <laughs> or otherwise is being dominated, the athlete doing the dominating does this. You may know what that means. It means too small. Too small. And it gets real petty. Some people go all the way down to the crowd to show you too small. And I realize I share all that in a light-hearted way. But may it be a visual that when we think about Satan, 
when we think about opposition as compared to Christ, who's been given all authority, just remember, too small. Too small. Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Psalm 147, verse 5. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. Fifth, Christ has authority over government. Is this comforting for us, living in the great state that we live in? This is why John calls him king over all kings. Revelation 17, 14. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And what this means practically is that no king, no president, no chief, no sheik, no premier, no prime minister, no government, no mayor, no congressman, no general, not even our homeowners association president takes office. Except that God, through Christ, puts them there. Daniel chapter 2, he removes kings and sets up kings. Daniel chapter 4, the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And when the rulers are in place, God governs what they do. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Proverbs 21, verse 1. You know, you think, as the young people like to say today, you think you keep receipts. God keeps receipts. Every decision made, by every ruler against Christ's church and his mission in time will backfire. They will certainly reap what they sow. God says, vengeance is mine. I will build my church and nothing will stop them. That's authority. Sixth, the extent of Jesus' authority is seen in his sovereignty over salvation. You know, when the rich young ruler turned away from Christ because he loved his money more, Jesus said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were astonished. It says there, they said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. With man, it is impossible to stop loving the world and start loving Jesus. It's impossible. Nobody causes himself to be born again. Nobody raises himself from the dead. But what is impossible with man is possible with 
for God, for all things are possible with God. Even the conversion of all those people at the Farm to Fork event yesterday, or those people that God will sovereignly put in our way as we cross paths at the Midtown Farmer's Market next Saturday, or Union Gospel Mission, or right now. For those of you in this room, you know where you're at. In your conscience, you can say all you want that you're a Christian, but deep down, God has placed attorney in your hearts. So you know whether or not you truly know Him in an intimate way, in an experiential way. And oh, Christ has authority over salvation. So I hope you believe this. Because if you don't know Him, He has authority, so go seek Him. Go to Him. He's the only one who can do the work of salvation. Seventh, the extent of Jesus' authority is seen in his triumph over death. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long, We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Oh, we need not be afraid of death. We 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 need not fear those who kill the body and can do no more. Eight. And therefore, when it's all said and done, Jesus has absolute authority and power over the mission of the church. It cannot fail. Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed, will, if you caught that, will be proclaimed, throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Matthew 16, 18, I will, not I might, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I have other sheep, John 10, that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. This mission will not fail. So my answer to our second question that we asked about 30 minutes ago, how much authority is included in all authority in heaven and on earth? The answer to that is this risen, reigning King of kings and Lord of lords reigns over this world and over his mission with absolute sovereignty. Nothing is outside his sovereign will. If he meets with resistance, he either allows it for his purposes, or he overcomes it for his purposes. His sovereign purposes are never thwarted. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. I am God... And there is no other. 
I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. And there's so much more. Christ's authority over disease, Christ's authority over even sinful acts of men, to which we don't have time this morning to dig into. But as I close, I want to encourage us with a couple of practical applications of how all of this affects us. How knowing and glory in Christ's authority, how that, how that manifests in our lives. First, it will affect your prayer life. It's going to affect your prayer life. It will inform, it will heighten, it will raise awareness and awe in your prayer life and it will fill it with hope. Why? Because you're asking for God to do what only He can do. What only He has authority to do. To send workers. To save sinners. As Paul says in Romans 10.1, it's my heart's desire and prayer to God that they may be saved. Sometimes people say, why pray if Christ is sovereign? To which I answer, why pray if He is not sovereign? Consider your most precious friend. your most precious family member, your children, who don't know Jesus. Knowing that Christ has authority over salvation will instill within you a level of urgency. It will drive you. It's going to orient you to the one, the only one, that can save them. It will even inform how you pray? Are you just going to casually, hey, hey, Lord, you know, if, if you can please save my children, save my friend, save my sister. You're not going to pray like that. Because if you understand the authority with which Christ has been given, know how you will pray is, God have mercy on them. Save them. Do the work that only you can do going to put you on your knees. See this? Because Christ has been given all authority. He's the only one that can do it. And Paul knew this. He said, if I could die, if I could be accursed for the sake of my brethren, I would, but I can't. So he begged God. See how this gives him glory? Christ says, come to me. Abide in me. Fix your eyes. On me. And second, it gives you a hope-filled joy as you pursue his mission to evangelize and to make disciples. Oh, dear church, you will have joy. Even amongst the hardest people, because you know Christ has authority over all, and you know that nothing is too hard for him, and you know that no human heart is beyond the power of God to break. But we're simply called to join God in doing what only God can do. Acts chapter 26 verse 17 says this, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. God sends us to do what only he could do. 
to give spiritual sight to the blind. And don't spurn this, dear church. This is a glorious calling to go, to open your mouth, to be an ambassador for Christ, God making his appeal, his life-giving appeal through you. Oh, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5. This mission cannot fail. So why would you hold back instead of joining the cause if it cannot fail? You know, Christ doesn't need us to accomplish his purposes, but in his wisdom, he allows for us to participate. Oh Lord, please, I've prayed this. Lord, please do not pass by the Cornerstone Bible Church. God, please use this local body in this mission to seek and save that which was lost. Because all authority has been given to you. So how will these words, Christ's authority, affect you this morning? Will it stir your heart to greater affection for people? Will it motivate you to serve this local body? Will it move you to reorient your life, your priorities, so that Christ is at the center of it? His mission now becomes your priority. You know, for some of you, it may cause you to leave even your very home to a place of great need, to a place where there are lost people in order to spread the good news of Christ. And of course, practically, we have plenty of need of that right outside these doors. God is doing this, dear church. And so will we be a part of it? He has all authority. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we beg of you, to do the work that only you can do and save. Transform lives. Transform hearts. Renew minds. And I pray as a church, as a local body of believers, God, that we are stirred and moved and encouraged to pursue greater Christ-likeness and in our pursuit of righteousness and obedience, God, that we go to work for your glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen.